0: Hi, Hussein. How are you? Can you hear me okay? We are waiting for our guest speaker to arrive. We will start in around 10 minutes. Sure, thanks for coming. Hi Katie, hi Gary, hi Vivi, hi Brad. Um we'll start in around 10 minutes. Um thank you for coming. Hi, Sylvia, how are you? We are um, starting in around eight minutes. So uh, thank you for coming. Your unmute button, if you want to say something, um, is on the bottom right corner. There's a um, little microphone symbol. Thank you. Hi, Katarina. yeah, I was just uh, yeah, I I I'm, I don't have a lot of uh, experience with uh, <laughs> with this uh,
1: uh, 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 app, but I was just uh, actually I was just uh, listening to a pre-recorded one and uh, our chat is scheduled for July twenty seventh, right? Yes. Mhm.
0: Exactly
1: okay (laughs) great which is tomorrow
0: (laughs) yeah do you want to have like a meeting after this do if you want we can have a a meeting to go over or do you just want to see how things work um right now and then that's yeah so yeah yeah so uh, sorry (laughs) i think i'm using the app no no no. it's going to be it's fine it's fine uh sorry (laughs) oh no don't worry so, you see here on the top right there, I'm, I shared the PDF. So, if you want to use slides tomorrow, um, uh-huh. we can do the same thing. So, um, Odile, she sent it to me and then I uploaded it to our Science Society Google Drive and made it shareable, like for everyone to view. So,
1: uh-huh. um, yeah,
0: sure. And then, um, hi, Frank, how are you? And then, um, how. So everyone has to scroll through the slides themselves. So it's really helpful if you have slide numbers and when you switch to uh, next slide, to say now I'm switching to slide number nine and so on. So it's it's not the screen share. So that's a little bit different from probably Zoom and so on that you probably usually use. Great. But thank you for coming, for taking the time and and so uh, being here <laughs> that's nice
1: yeah no no thank you for for the for you to for inviting me to to this event i just wanted to 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 check how, how it worked <laughs> thanks so much so you you will you will put we will put the the link to the paper so i will just
0: okay talk about yeah the, the number of, of pages exactly
1: okay? yeah okay
0: perfect great great thank you very much I, you so I will good. connect tomorrow like minutes before yeah yeah i'm always around five minutes before here so yeah perfect okay great thank you very much thank you sure thank you hi frank how are you today yeah hi there i'm i'm just getting in (laughs) sure We'll start in around five minutes. So thank you everyone for coming. Um, This will be a really interesting talk from our guest speaker. She's at um, the university in Brussels. And um, yeah, I think it's a a very important new technology she she, um, developed in in her team. for children with epilepsy, so yeah, stay tuned. We'll start soon. Oh, thank you, Red, for the comments. Yeah, I uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Hi, Odile. You How are you? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, we have like some, some maybe interference. Nice. Are you using headphones, maybe? Yes, I'm using headphones. Well, now it's actually fine. Okay.
2: The, the interference that was kind of clicking on the volume, I
1: Uh-oh. guess. Yes. I was, uh, I was, uh, switching the volume. How
0: are you today? How was your day so far? I'm fine. And you? <laughs> we are very happy that you're here. So thank you. For us, it's a good day already.
1: I hope you, you will be um, the same uh, the same way after the presentation.
0: Oh, much happier because I learned from you. <laughs> of course, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We'll start in around two minutes. So um, thank you for doing this and for making the account and everything. So we really appreciate it, thank you. Okay, I think we can slowly start. Um, welcome everyone to Science Society and a special welcome and thanks to Odile Face. Um, and before we start, let me um, introduce you um, to the audience. Um, uh, Odile Face, she uh, graduated um, as a medical doctor from the Universite Catholique de Louvain. I hope I'm saying it right. Yes, <laughs> I don't know French. <laughs> I'm, <really laughs> I'm from Europe, but I, I just know German, Portuguese, and Spanish. No, no French. It's it's <laughs> uh, and is currently a resident in neurology at the rasma Hospital, also in Belgium. And she's also a PhD student in the Laboratory of Translational Neuroanatomy. And neuroimaging from the Université uh, Libre de Bruxelles in Belgium. And in her PhD project, she wants to uh, develop new methods for um, enhancing the elimination of the epileptogenic zone. And um, I would say you're being very successful with it. And congratulations for your paper.
1: Thank you.
0: And be, <laughs> yeah. Um, and before we start, uh, we usually start with like a couple of interview questions, and um, the, our first question is, how did you like? How did you um, become interested in doing science? Um, is there maybe was there an amazing teacher in your life, or um, you know was that always something you wanted to do? Um, I think this question is really interesting for people that are maybe not in science. Thank you.
1: Um, I was looking for a good answer to this question and I didn't find uh, the starting of my interest uh, in science and I guess it maybe because my my mother is a teacher of chemistry and physics and so we were doing some experiments in the afternoon after school, uh, in the kitchen, uh, about um, such uh, yeah, chemistry, physics, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, to, to, to test uh, a lot of things, uh, really various uh, in the in the life, <laughs> in the daily life. And that's, I guess there is no starting of my interest, it's maybe, because uh, since uh, I was young, uh, yeah, I I was doing some little experiments, uh, scientific experiments in the kitchen. <laughs> so
0: that's so interesting. My father is also a chemistry and physics teacher, and same thing with me. He always tried first the experiments with me, and if
1: it would work, then he would <laughs> <laughs> do them. Exactly the same, <laughs> and he would the only all the experiments of my mother. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. That's so funny. That's so interesting. <laughs> that's that's. Um, that's amazing. So it was always part of your life, uh, which is wonderful and um, How did you um, Start working in the field you're in right now, and how did this project come about? Um, is there maybe?
1: Yeah, thank you um, So I was uh, studying um, medicine to become a neurologist because I've I already uh, uh, thought uh, it was highly interesting uh, to to better know the brain, etc. And um, I'm particularly interested in epilepsy for a long time. And so I was looking for a PhD project uh, around the, the management of refractory epilepsy, which was my uh, yeah, my particular interest is in uh, management of refractory epilepsy. So, and this project is yeah. In the field, uh, perfectly fit perfectly with the field.
0: Great, so everything worked out wonderfully, and congratulations to the paper you're presenting today and the work you're presenting today. So, yeah, the stage is yours. Um, we'll, um, you know, keep the questions for after the presentation, for the end, and um, thank you everyone. And yeah, the stage is yours, Odile. Thank you.
1: Thank you. So uh, my presentation is about uh, unscalp magnetoencephalography as a new diagnostic tool for the evaluation of epilepsy in children. And I switch uh, to the second slide. Um, To introduce you the topic, you need to know some specific word in the field of epilepsy because I will use it uh, again and again in the presentation. So uh, you need to know some specific word uh, as seizure, which is a transient occurrence uh, of signs or symptoms due to abnormal, excessive, or synchronous neural activity in the brain. And when I use the term ictal, ictal discharge, for example, uh, it means during the seizure. And when I use the term uh, interictal, it means between seizures. And then epilepsy is a disease of the brain defined by any of the following conditions at least two unprovoked seizures occurring more than 24 hours apart, one unprovoked seizure and a probability of further seizures, further seizures of at least 60% over the next 10 years, or diagnosis of an epilepsy syndrome. So the first line treatment uh, in epilepsy, it consists of anti-epileptic drugs. And the main outcome is to reach seizure freedom. Nevertheless, uh, despite the correct intake of at least two correctly chosen and well tolerated anti-epileptic drugs, some patient does not reach seizure freedom. Uh, they suffer from refractory epilepsy. And in patients suffering from refractory focal epilepsy, um, they could be uh, around 50% of these patient could be candidates for epilepsy surgery, which aims also to reach seizure freedom. Um, despite this surgery, this surgery, around 40% of patient uh, does not reach this outcome. And the the current gold standard of epilepsy surgery consists of surgical resection of the area where um, seizures are starting. This area is called epileptogenic zone. And you can think if patient uh, has a a brain lesion, uh, it is okay to remove the the lesion. And it's not the case in most of uh, uh, anatomical, it's most of uh, anatomopathological lesion type. Uh, As you can see on the slide four, uh, you can see in red the lesion and in most uh, type of epilepsy, the epileptogenic zone uh, will be larger than the lesion. Thus, we need to define the epileptogenic and delimitate it correctly before to remove it. Then on the slide five, Um, You can see that we need some some tools to help us to define this epileptogenic zone. And there is a a first step in in these tools, which includes um, clinical evaluation, MRI, neuropsychological assessment, and video EEG, video electroencephalography, including ictal recording and interictal recording. Um, It's not on the slide, Nevertheless, uh, in our center, and I guess in most of European center, at least, um, PET is also in this first um, in this first part, uh, and it is a, an isotopic imaging. After this first part, um, if all of these results are of all results of this um, uh, clinical assessment are concordant, we can decide if patient can benefit from surgery or not. In some cases, results are discordant, and there is a second second sample of tools uh, which help uh, epileptologists and clinicians to decide if patient can benefit from epilepsy surgery or not, and to better define the epileptogenic zone. And MEG, or Magnetoencephalography, is a part of this second sample. I'll talk to you about uh, the the Magnetoencephalography, which is uh, the the topic today. And how does it work? Magneton will um, record the magnetic field produced by brain. There is two types of sensors to, to record this magnetic field. There, um, yeah, I forgot to say, I'm on slide six. Um, these two types of sensors are magnetometers and gradiometers, and magnetometers uh, record the magnetic fields around them, and gradiometers, will record magnetic field just below and perpendicular to them. All the sensors are located uh, around the scalp um, and there is around 100 locations. To record uh, the most of the magnetic field produced by the brain, um, each location, uh, as you can see uh, on the right uh, on slide six, um, are including one magnetometer and two gradiometers perpendicular between each other. The, man- the brain magnetic fields are really low compared to ambient magnetic fields and for example compared to Earth magnetic field. Thus, uh, MEG recording um, take place inside a magnetic shielded room to reduce ambient magnetic field and uh, to record low magnetic field in the order of femtotesla these uh, magnetometers and gradiometers require um, cryogenic cooling, they are placed inside um, liquid helium. As uh, due to the temperature of <laughs> liquid helium, um, this sensor cannot be placed on the scalp. It needs to to have, um, it's needed to, to have um, thermal insulated space. This is why sensors are placed inside the rigid helmet. You can see also on the on the right uh, of slide six, um, and yeah, to keep this this uh, thermal insulated space between scalp and sensors due to cryogenic cooling. You can um, ask uh, <laughs> um, how the brain uh, how is the brain producing this magnetic field. And uh, you need to, say, to, to know that um, neurons are um, interacting together due to uh, electrical uh, potential. Um, we are obviously not recording the activity of a single neuron, but we are recording um, the, the activity of a population of neurons acting together um, in, the, in the same way. And the next question you can ask is uh, why do we need to record the magnetic field if, if uh, neurons are working with electrical potentials? And it's, it is also possible to rec- to record this electrical potential, it's the, the role of electroencephalography, which is commonly used in the field of epilepsy. There is uh, uh, several types you can see on slide seven. Um, from low density EEG, including twenty four electrodes, until high density EEG, including uh, until two hundred and fifty six electrodes. EEG is cheaper than MEG, clearly, um, and low density EEG is um, quite easy to to use, and is really um, commonly used by epileptologists and in the field of epilepsy, including refractory and not refractory patients. And on slide, um, I switch on slide eight, you can ask also, why do we need to record both uh, magnetic fields and electrical potential if they're recording the the same activity? Why is the, uh, what is the added value of the magnetoencephalography Uh, as magnetic field is related to the electrical potentials. And I switch on slide nine, Um, EEG and MEG are not sensitive to the same sources inside the brain. And EEG is more sensitive to radial sources uh, which are originating from gyrus. Whereas MEG is more sensitive to tangential sources, uh, which are originating from sulcus. Moreover, um, EEG is um, influenced by different layers between sources and sensors, uh, as um, cerebrospinal fluid, bone, skin, etc. But not influenced um, by the distance or not much. Uh, and MEG is highly influenced by the distance between sources and sensors, but not influenced um, by the different layers between uh, uh, sources and sensors. Based on this, magnetoencephalography encephalography um, has an added value compared with EEG. It has been proved by some other studies. And uh, for example, uh, this study I've shown on slide 10 um, has shown that. Um, Manitore encephalography can change the decision of the multidisciplinary epilepsy team uh, in some cases. And for example, uh, you can see uh, on the slide 10 um, on the left panel, each point um, is the, the dipole corresponding to one interrectal discharge. You can see it's highly clustered. and. After um, watching the MRI again, the multidisciplinary team um, have seen that it, um, there is a lesion uh, on the right panel and this patient uh, had a um, surgical resection and was seizure, seizure-free for uh, two years after the, the resection. On slide 11, um, this other study have shown that the resection of the whole uh, cluster of sp- of uh, interrectal discharge is correlated with a better surgical outcome. Um, m- there is more patients stage-free if the cluster of interrectal discharge is was resected, even if it's not if it doesn't um, uh, match perfectly with the lesion. Now uh, I'm sure uh, I convinced I convinced you uh, that maniturned phylography was so wonderful and I switch uh, on slide 12. Um, I explained to you uh, that the magnetic uh, field uh, are lower um, with distance uh, and you can imagine the the fact that as children had a um, um, smaller head circumference and as a sensor are placed inside a rigid helmet, there is a greater distance from brain to sensor in children than uh, in adult. Most uh, of MEG devices are based on uh, adult head circumference, and thus leading to um, low signal to noise ratio in children than in adults. It's possible to record the magnetic field in children with this device, but it's not perfect. One way to overcome this limitation is the use of pediatric magnetoencephalography, as you can see on the the right panel. um, There is different type, baby MEG, pediatric MEG, which are based uh, on the head circumference of of a child. Um, Nevertheless, the helmet circumference fits perfectly with only one uh, head circumference. Uh, that the child um, gets at one specific age. This child with a higher, larger head circumference than the helmet circumference um, could not have an MEG with these devices and in in, uh, younger children um, smaller head circumference will lead to a low signal to noise ratio again, as uh, with uh, uh, adult uh, head circumference uh, devices. And then on slide 13, um, there is a new type of magnetometers called optically-pumped magnetometers, and which doesn't uh, require cryogenic cooling has the, the most limitation to place uh, the sensors on the scalp uh, was cryogenic cooling this time. This type sensors can be placed directly on the scalp. How does it work to record um, the low magnetic field? Um, there is a cell full of uh, rubidium, which is heated uh, to, um, uh, to Um, give the transparency to the rubidium and when the magnetic field passes through uh, the rubidium, it um, it modifies the axis of uh, rubidium atoms and uh, the the amount of light uh, is different according to the magnetic field passing through the cell. On slide 14, you can see one of the most uh, important publications in the field of psychally pumped magnetometers, which have shown that um, OPMs were able to record the activity uh, generated after a movement. Uh, It was similar with uh, cryogenic magnetoencephalography, and on the middle panel, um, they recorded this activity uh, also in moving condition. I did not mention it uh, earlier, um, but you can imagine that to record the magnetic field with a cryogenic MEG, you need to stay, to remain still inside uh, the magnetic shielded room uh, and uh, to, to get the head perfectly uh, inside, uh, inside the helmet. It was also uh, a limitation in children, as in really, um, really young children, uh, it needs um, sedative to from magnetoencephalography. So OPMs, this time, are able to record the magnetic field uh, even uh, in case of moving conditions. It it seems to be an advantage in children also. On slide 15, you can see the the first time an interrectal activity was recorded uh, by OPMs in one epileptic adult and without uh, source reconstruction uh, on the activity. On slide sixteen, uh, what about OPMs in pediatric epilepsy? And this is what we we did uh, in this uh, in this study. We have included some epileptic children. Um, I, yes, slide sixteen oh, seventeen. For, sorry, um, we've included um, some epileptic children who underwent uh, an OPM magnetoencephalography from eighteen to thirty minutes uh, with this flexible cap. Uh, you can see on the middle panel, uh, and OPMs were locked on the cap with these blue uh, three-dimensional homemade um, printed uh, mounts. Um, and what so the children underwent uh, the, the OPM uh, magnetoencephalography. And then a cryogenic magnetoencephalography of the same duration to compare uh, the most comparable um, techniques uh, for the recording of uh, brain magnetic field. Then slide 18, Um, we we have visually detected um, interrectal discharges. And then we, perform a compar- we performed uh, a comparison of amplitude and signal-to-nose ratio uh, between both modalities and also performed source reconstruction on isolated spikes and on average spikes. Uh, spikes are uh, interrectal activity commonly uh, described in epilepsy. On slide 19. Um, you can see the population. We've included five patients between five and 11 years. Uh, All of them were suffering from focal epilepsy, not all of them from refractory epilepsy, uh, two of them only. Uh, And you can see in table two that the amplitude of um, spikes um, was higher for OPMs compared with cryogenic magnetoencephalography in all patients. And then that um, the signal-to-noise ratio was higher uh, with OPMs in four patients. On slide twenty, you can see uh, the example of recorded activity at the at sensor level, and you can see the the, the, ACRO, the squid acronym um, is for cryogenic magnetotemporalography, and um, at bottom uh, the OPM uh, signal. You can see the activity, then the average uh, um, interrectal discharges and on the right, uh, the, you can see the magnetic field um, in the sun source space, which is comparable between both modalities. Um, on slide 21, uh, you can see this time, this uh, magnetic field um, in source space in green uh, for APM, and in blue for cryogenic magnetoencephalography. And it is the example for one patient. In this patient, uh, sources were distant from less than 5 millimeters. It was the case uh, in three patients. Uh, Less than 5 millimeters is um, the the range of uh, spatial resolution of cryogenic MEG. And in the two other patients, sources were distant from less than 15 millimeters. Then on the slide 22, uh, you can see again the source reconstruction uh, of average spike in cryogenic magneton cephalography in blue, average spikes in OPM in green, and each um, pink point uh, is the source reconstruction and isolated sp- spikes. And on the left panel, it is another um, type of source reconstruction to compare if, if it was uh, reproducible with uh, another source reconstruction method. And you can see that all spikes were clusters around um, the, the average spike. Then slide 20, 23. <laughs> um, the study have shown that all, um, our design was easy and quick to place on um, the the head of children and also easy and quick to digitize. Um, It was around 10 minutes to digitize the position of uh, OPMs with an electromagnetic tracker, which is the commonly used method uh, of of digitization in uh, cryogenic magnetoencephalography. Then our device was comfortable for children uh, these epileptic children are used to have an EEG cap, so it was uh, not uh, not surprising f- uh, for them, and um, all of uh, of them were uh, watching uh, a movie uh, without um, complaint. Then slide twenty four, um, as I have as I've explained earlier, uh, we found a higher amplitude uh, in of uh, spikes in all patients with OPMs and an IR signal to noise ratio in for patients. It's due to the reduced brain-to-sensor distance. And um, the the intrinsic noise of OPMs is the same than um, the intrinsic noise of uh, sensors in cryogenic magnetoencephalography. Nevertheless, uh, the, the signal is noisier uh, during the OPM recording. Um, due to the movement of sensor inside the remnant magnetic field uh, in the magnetic shielded room. Thus, the the OPM signal was noisier than um, uh, cryogenic MEG signal. And it's probably the the reason why uh, one of our patients had not a higher SNR um, in uh, OPMs as this patient um, had really large movement Continuously during all the recording, and this, um I'm not. I was not surprised when I've seen the, the results in this patient and uh, similar SNR uh, between um, uh, opms and cryogenic MEG recordings. It's it's not surprising. Um, then we found similar neural sources, uh, similar to uh, cryogenic MEG spatial resolution, as less than. Uh, than five millimeters in three patients and higher in two patients, and it's possible um, we have recording two distinct sources uh, in this patient during the uh, during both recording or maybe we we have detected another type of interrectal discharges, and as these uh, recordings cannot be um, simultaneous, we cannot assess this with uh, certainty, and. On slide twenty-five, um, d- the lack of non of simultaneous recording is a limitation of our study. Um, Opms and magnet and cryogenic MEG cannot be performed simul- simultaneously. Uh, it's possible to perform EEG simultaneously. Uh, nevertheless, it's um, a bit um, um, uh, disturbing for children. Uh, less comfortable. Um, We have included only five patients and we have placed only 32 OPMs, um, not uh, on the whole scalp, only around the presumed epileptogenic zone. It's also a limitation of the study. And we had no reference standard in the field of epilepsy, reference standard uh, uh, intracranial EEG or surgical resection. This um, slide 26, uh, you can say that OPMs are working in pediatric epilepsy. And slide 27. Um, we have demonstrated that OPMs are able to detect uh, interrectal discharges with a higher uh, amplitude and a higher signal to noise ratio in most patients uh, than cryogenic MEG with a similar localization value. And OPMs could have a significant impact in assessment of childhood epilepsy for all reasons. Uh, I've explained uh, cryogenic MEG uh, have some limitation in childhood epilepsy, this OPM uh, could be uh, the future. And uh, slide 28, um, for the future, uh, there is some uh, <laughs> improvements. Uh, for example, uh, an improvement in the digitization method, uh, as there are some method um, with more accuracy, um, as shown uh, in the study. Um, um, on the, the table uh, six. And um, it's also um, quicker to perform digitization with a um, three dimensional scanner, uh, which allowed to perform this in two minutes, which is more comfortable for children. And you can see the results um, on the left. Then on slide 29, um, as I've explained uh, that, um, uh, the, the remnant magnetic field and the, m- the, the movement of sensors inside the remnant magnetic field is leading to um, noisy signal and a reduction of uh, the remnant magnetic field uh, could help to have um, less noisy signal uh, and to um, yeah to improve uh, again, to increase again the signal uh, to noise ratio uh, during OPM recording. And it's um, the, the outcome of these uh, field nulling coils, which uh, compensate the remnant magnetic field inside the magnetic shielded room. Then slide thirty. Um, during all this presentation, I sp- I, I spoke about uh, interictal discharges or spikes, which are um, not during seizures, <laughs> and the these interictal activities um, are not um, are not um, matching with the seizure onset zone and thus the recording of seizures could be helpful to, to determine the seizure onset zone and thus the, the epileptic the, the epileptogenic zone sorry um, due to the the the, the cryogenic MEG device, it's not possible to perform uh, prolonged reco- prolonged recording um, as long as to to record seizures. as OPMs um, allow to to perform recordings where uh, patients are moving, uh, it's possible to perform uh, longer recordings and I hope um, some ictal recording recordings. And then uh, slide uh, thirty one. If um, <laughs> all of these, uh, these uh, improvements are, um, are possible, uh, maybe OPMs could replace uh, the, the cryogenic MEG in the pre-surgical assessment of refractory focal epilepsy, and maybe with the help of uh, ICTAL uh, OPM recording. And I thank you for uh, your attention. I hope uh, (laughs) it was uh, clear for you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Odile. This was a wonderful presentation. And um, this is such amazing work. And um, I hope it will um, help a lot of children in the future. Um, And um, yeah, thank you so much for your presentation. So my question would be, like, is this device more expensive or maybe even less expensive than the devices are currently used um, to assess um, the, basically the origin, brain region of epilepsy in children? Um, will it be difficult to build a lot of these? Um, yeah, let's, let's start
1: with that. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the questions. Um, the opium-based uh, magnetoencephalography is less expensive than the cryogenic magnetoencephalography. Thus, it it could allow to um, generalize, more generalize the the, the use of um, recording, of magnetic field recordings. Nevertheless, it it's still... Um, uh, more expensive than conventional eeg as uh, i've shown uh, uh, low um, low density eeg which is the the reference uh, in in the field of epilepsy i'm i'm not sure it will replace i could say i'm sure it will not replace low density eeg uh, at least in the in the near future uh, nevertheless it could um, help to generalize the the use of magnetoencephalography, as it's less expensive than cryogenic, it's uh, also less impressive for children, etc. So I guess it could generalize in some uh, reasonable measures.
0: (laughs) Really big um, upside that, you know, the children can move around a little bit and um, you still have accurate recordings. Is it also... Can you record basically now even in younger children that you couldn't record from before with this technology?
1: Um, We we were able to record the uh, brain magnetic field in really young children, um, but always with uh, sedatives. Uh, In the field of epilepsy, when the exam was required, uh, there is an um, anesthetist uh, which was was, uh, present uh, and gives sedative to to the child uh, and the exam was possible. But this type of exam um, will be more convenient to perform the exam in children without sedatives. Without drugs, uh, it's more convenient. Uh, it, it's possible to 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 move a little bit, and it's um, yeah. Sensors are moving with the head. It's not uh, uh, mandatory to keep the head perfectly fitted inside the helmet, as sensors are always fitted with uh, with the, the scalp. Uh, obviously, it's not uh, possible in. Uh, aggressive children. Uh, it's not possible. Uh, in th- There is such a uh, pathological condition where it will be complicated, but yes, it will be uh, easier in young children.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll ask one more question and then I'll give Fra- Frank the opportunity to ask. Um, how about the training of the person performing the recording? Do people have to be highly trained? I'm just thinking of You know, maybe in places where there's like a low density of highly trained uh, personnel, uh, especially also, I think that affects everywhere around the world. After COVID, everyone quitting, like not everyone, but a lot of nurses and so quitting their jobs. Like, um, do you have to be more trained or less trained than um, in previous methods to record these?
1: I'm able to perform it alone. I guess it's more complicated in children, because you need to uh, um, to speak with the the child, to speak with the parent, uh, to explain um, things to child and parent together. It's not uh, always simple, but I can put it in the head of uh, of children. Alone, I guess it's possible in low-density EEG. Also, I'm I don't perform it uh, really often. And yes, it's the advantage is uh, it's not necessary to glue the electrode uh, in low-field, uh, low-density um, EEG. Electrodes need to 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 glue on the scalp. Uh, uh, it's not uh, needed here. Uh, it's like, a, I don't know, a swimming cap. I guess it's the, the correct <laughs> the correct word. Um, you, you put it on the head and you lock the, the sensors uh, on the cap uh, previously or after the position of the cap. It's both uh, possible. Um,
0: yeah. I, uh... That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, Frank, did you have a question?
2: Yeah, uh, thank you very, very much for uh, the presentation. I have a couple of questions, uh, some more general and uh, one or two on on the slides. So uh, first of all, which devices could uh, record an actual uh, epileptic seizure? And uh, what does this uh, recording here uh, shown uh, uh, tell us about epilepsy when it doesn't, uh, when it can't record an actual seizure?
1: Yes, uh, e.g., uh, in fact, it's not the problem to record seizures. Uh, if the patient uh, has a seizure within the cryogenic magneton perfect, we can record it. Uh, the the issue is that seizures are generally not frequent. Some patients had uh, as uh, seizures uh, less than one per month. And then we cannot uh, wait for one month inside the cryogenic MEG. You can say we cannot uh, wait one month with EEG, but it's possible. We can uh, perform some uh, two weeks recording with a, a low uh, density EEG and we can uh, try also to um, increase the seizure frequency by some... Uh, um, some uh, I don't know drugs um, removal, uh, some uh, uh, light stimulation, etc. So it's possible to record seizures with cryogenic imaging, but it's really rare due to the seizure frequency. And the the OPM, maniatoencephalography uh, could not be as long as prolong the EEG, as I guess because. <laughs> Uh, With EEG, uh, you can go to toilet, etc. You can uh, uh, not take a shower, but uh, yes. But with um, the 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 possibility to move inside the magnetic shielded room, um, longer recording can be performed, as the 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 patient can uh, eat, drink, uh, can uh, read, um, um, I don't know, sleep, uh, etc. Sleep. was uh, already uh, sleeping was already possible inside the cryogenic image, but not uh, eating, drinking, uh, watching a movie, reading, uh, I don't know, uh, yeah. Prolonged recordings will be able due to um, the, the opportunity to move inside the MSR, the magnetic shielding room.
2: Yeah, thank you. So uh, since this is on, on, on children, what is What are the um, main differences between epilepsy in, in children and in uh, grown-ups?
1: Oh, uh, there are several. <laughs> uh, uh, epilepsy is more frequent in children, etc., due to uh, genetics uh, issue. Uh, um, the Here, we focused on um, children with epilepsy due to the the great gain in this patient the great advantage in this patient uh to have um, the this uh, brain to sen- to the reducing of brain to sensor uh distance which is uh, more important I- in children it it could be a uh, it could be usable in adults without uh, th- there is no problem to to replicate in in adults we were interested in this particular cohort due to the, yeah, the great advantage in this in this population.
2: Yeah, so um, I've grown up with a person in my family system with epilepsy, so I kind of know these situations um, uh, where we, yeah, very special I have to say. Uh, To to my knowledge, there have been kind of hundreds of internal differentiations of epilepsy. How did that improve in the last years and uh, uh, what is the, the, the closest next other neurological phenomenon that epilepsy could be confused with?
1: Could you could you um uh, Yeah, I'm,
2: question, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm asking about the uh, internal differentiation of epilepsy because I, uh, to my knowledge, there are kind of hundreds, uh, hundreds of, of types of epilepsies. And how did that situation improve? Are there kind of more generalizations or did it even uh, differentiate further? And what is the, the next type of neurological phenomenon that the epilepsy could be confused with?
1: Mm-hmm. This this type uh, this type of device uh, is mostly uh, used in focal epilepsy. It could it could have some advantages in generalized epilepsy also. Uh, you're right. There is uh, several subtypes of epilepsy, and I, I'm not sure we can count them because there, there is too much, and uh, we we are discovering uh, some uh, subtypes right now. Um, but. It could be interesting also in generalized epilepsy to uh, better understand the connectivity between brain uh, areas together. Um, I think it's more helpful in focal epilepsy, um, as the aim is to to locate price, precisely uh, the the epileptogenic zone. And there is also uh, uh, several types of epilep- uh, epileptogenic zone. They could be. Uh, uh, wide it could be a, a network, it could be a highly focused zone, and the, the main advantage of magnetoencephalography is to precisely localize some um, types of uh, really focused epileptogenic zone, and it can um, uh, highlight it in such different zone of of the brain. Um, epilepsy could uh, the epileptogenic zone can be located uh, in, I would say, uh, almost all the brain areas. <laughs> um, it's possible to have in each brain areas and thus the aim is to locate it, uh, I don't know, uh, in um, in the frontal area, in the frontal uh, pole uh, or uh, in the, I don't know, hippocampus or uh, amygdala to, to know if it's possible to remove the zone. It's the, it's the aim in the refractory focal epilepsy, to know if you can remove the zone to um, reach seizure freedom in this patient. And it's possible yeah, to, to highlight this zone with uh, this type. I guess it could have some advantages in other type of epilepsy also, as I've said for, um, connectivity, in generalized epilepsy, for example, or to better know um, the, the um, mechanism uh, of generation of seizures in some other type of epilepsy. It's not, uh, it's not doing okay
2: yeah, thank you so much. So my last question would be on on uh, these slides on page fifteen you have these graphs. what is this color differentiation between red and uh, black?
1: Oh um between red and black it's the um, it shows the 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 area where spikes are. Have the most uh, the, yeah, the the higher amplitude and which are probably it's not different spikes uh, it's not different uh, interictal discharges they're arising at the same times and you can say um, there is a, a propagation we we can record these spikes from different um, areas uh, uh, on the scalp and um, the. The red line uh, shows you the the most um, yeah the the higher amplitude of the spikes and probably the 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 epileptogenic focus the yes the the focus of this activity is located near to the, these uh, sensors. It's not a, a, a study of of my uh, my team here in Erasmus, so I cannot say you where the sensors were placed and the scalp uh, precisely, um, and they didn't perform source reconstruction. Uh, if I um, uh, the 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 thing I can see on EEG and the thing I can see on uh, opium magnetoencephalography, I can say there is the the most high spike.
2: All right, so it's uh, it's uh, just over a certain threshold. So yeah, thank you very much. Very fascinating, uh, Katarina. Uh, uh, I don't know if you want to open it up.
0: Uh, yeah, thank you so much uh, for explaining this to us. Yeah, if everyone has um, any more questions, please um, raise your hand or use the chat option, and um, uh, to ask a few more questions. We have a deal for around 10 more minutes um so yeah feel free to ask questions if you have some um or use the the room chat option um and um is there what 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 is next like what are you working on you know because this is published this is already um Um, (laughs) from the past like what what are
1: you working on next um in in this field uh, I'm working uh, on uh, ictal recordings uh, just just right, right now. I, um, yeah, it's uh, more difficult to to perform it uh, as I've explained uh, because seizures are uh, less frequent than uh, inter-ICTAL activity. But uh, yes, uh, I'm trying to to perform uh, to perform it, and um, yeah, the, the improvement also uh, of uh, our um, current uh, yes current device, uh, how to, to get a better signal uh, and then how to get in other age, uh, in adults with refractory focal epilepsy, in uh, younger children. Um, yeah. So it, in, uh, as, as I uh, perform some clinical research, it depends uh, on the, the patient I can, I can get by clinical activity also, of course.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Are you also maybe involved in. Is there plans to um, have a company sell those uh, so more people get access to this technology? Is there any work or plans in distributing these helmets basically to,
1: you know, um, around the world? <laughs> um, OPMs are, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, yes, there is a, a company. I'm not uh, involved <laughs> at all. Uh, Qspin, which is based in USA. I, I, uh, I guess. Uh, yeah, um, all opms uh, in this studio are Qspin, and you can uh, <laughs> you can buy some if you if you want. And I know there is other companies. I, I'm, I guess field, field Line maybe uh, is also. Uh, a uh, manufacturer of uh, <laughs> optical pumped magnetometers. Um, I don't know if, if uh, right now there is other, um, I'm not sure. Don't take this <laughs> as a, as a precise information. Um, yeah, I'm not involved in such company, but there is possible to buy OPMs, to buy magnetic shielded room uh, <laughs> if, uh, if you want it's already possible
0: great thank you Um, that's wonderful Um, and um, yeah we um, if there are no more questions right now um, we wish you all the best for the future and uh, this is really amazing work and uh, I think it will Help a lot of children around the world. So, uh, congratulations for doing this work and you know for making it your life to to help children with epilepsy. That's quite wonderful, and uh, we wish you all the funding and um, all the luck for for this uh, research. Uh, thank you, Odil. Thank yeah, you.
2: and can I can I just add that that your your English uh, is fine. That there's absolutely, I didn't have any, any problems you. when uh, you know you said in uh, before the talk that you kind of you know could be have some there could be some problems yes. absolutely. Yes, not. I'm I, always I,
1: worried about my English.
2: Yeah, but uh, yeah, absolutely uh, fine and great talk. Thank you so much for participating.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> there was no reason to be re- nervous. Thank you. And I hope you come back maybe with um, updates uh, for along. long, um, maybe in next year or so you come back and update us with more of your really uh, important research. Thank you, Adil.
1: Thank you so much. Okay,
0: so and thank you everyone for coming. Uh, I don't know, deal. if you saw the chat, everyone says thank you, that you're really... Yes, I've seen. Really wonderful. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, thank you everyone for commenting, for participating, for being here and and um, yeah, follow the Club Science Society, if you like uh, talks like these, um, we will have... Um, today Dr. Long and he will talk about exercise inducible metabolites suppresses obesity and um, Yeah, tomorrow we'll have a room about mapping microglia and astrocyte activation in humans. Um, so uh, Yeah, follow the club come back and thank you Odile. Uh, thank you so much um, we really appreciate you coming here and um we hope you come back <laughs> okay enjoy the rest of your day everyone bye Odile. bye okay i'll close the room and three two one bye everyone